Good morning, church. I would like to welcome everyone here this morning, and uh, we're glad everyone could join us. Coming together on Sundays uh, gives us an opportunity to acknowledge our Creator and our Savior. And this is one way that we proclaim that He is Lord. He is worthy of our love. And the psalmist understood this really well. I would like to read a psalm this morning as we begin. This is Psalm 96, if you want to join along. Sing a new song to the Lord. Let the whole earth sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord, praise his name. Each day proclaim the good news that he saves. Publish his glorious deeds among the nations. Tell everyone about the amazing things he does. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. The gods of other nations are mere idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty surround him. Strength and beauty fill his sanctuary. O nations of the world, recognize the Lord. Recognize that the Lord is glorious and strong. Give to the Lord the glory he deserves. Bring your offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in all his holy splendor. Let all the earth tremble before him. Tell all the nations the Lord reigns. The world stands firm and cannot be shaken. He will judge all peoples fairly. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Psalms 96. As we gather this morning, we're going to be singing and praying. But remember, let's give him the honor that he deserves. Are there any announcements this morning? If not, as we begin our worship, the elders have uh, a special announcement this, this morning. The process of uh, selecting and approving elders has taken a little bit longer uh, than we've done in the past, and I guess we could blame that on the virus since it has made the process a little more difficult this time. Uh, we started at the end of last summer, and we approached some men that we considered qualified, and uh, we, we, um, we also approached men that you as members suggested would be good candidates. We prayed fervently. We asked uh, them to pray as well as you, and we believe that God has directed us in this process. Two men out of that group were presented to you a few weeks ago for your approval, and your approval is well evident. We believe these men to be very well qualified. And by your approval, men that you consider worthy to lead uh, this congregation. And we're thankful that we have, that they have agreed to be responsible and to lead in this fashion uh, for this congregation. We're gonna ask uh, Brian and Michelle and Sean and Nancy to come forward and we would like to pray for them this morning and bless them as they start in this work. If you would come up and join us, please. These people are no strangers to you, so we don't really need to introduce them. They are already leaders in many ways. We appreciate them and their wives and what they do. We appreciate their faith, their service, their ability to teach. You know these folks as well as I do, and we're grateful that they would consider uh, joining us in this ministry. So I'm going to ask Dawn and then uh, Jim to lead a prayer for each one of these. Let's pray together to God. Lord God, we are so grateful for Brian and Michelle, and we're grateful that uh, they have served so well in this congregation and uh, helped us with so many ministries and helped us with teaching. And we're just grateful for their faith. We know they love you. We know they're your children. And uh, we're grateful that uh, Brian is going to be serving in a new capacity uh, as an elder for this congregation. And we pray you'll give him strength. We pray you'll give him wisdom. And we pray that uh, you'll make this a real joyful ministry uh, that he's pursuing here. Uh, and we know that you 
came up with a good idea for elders and told us about it in the New Testament. And thank you for that plan. And thank you especially for your son, Jesus. Uh, but right now we pray a special blessing on Brian and Michelle. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Under God in heaven, we come before you at this time that I personally want to thank you, Lord, for being in the lives of Sean and Nancy, how they have demonstrated their love for you, how they have served so many people in so many different capacities. And Lord, it is a blessing for us that they have made this decision to serve you as leaders, as shepherds in this congregation. They've already been, been doing that work of shepherding and being encouragement. And we just want to recognize the fact that they are shepherds, that they are leaders. And we thank you so much, Lord, for bringing them our way. They're such an asset to our number. And that the example that they show before us is an example that I need to follow. And I thank you for that. So I pray, Lord, that you will bless them, bless them with wisdom, bless them with courage, and bless them as servants as they serve you. Thank you, Lord, for bringing them our way. It is our benefit, and it's through your son's name we pray. Amen. As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship thee. You To you alone may my spirit yield. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship thee. You're my friend, and you are my brother. You alone 
joy giver and the apple of my eye. You alone are my strength, my shield. To you alone may my spirit yield. You desire and I long to worship Thee. I cast my mind to Calvary, where Jesus bled and died for me. I see His wounds, His hands, His feet, my Savior on that cursed tree, his body bound and drenched in tears, they laid him down in Joseph's tomb, the entrance sealed by heavy stone, Messiah still and all alone. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forevermore. For endless days we will sing your praise. Oh, Son of heaven rose again. O trampled death, where is your sting? The angels roar for Christ the King. O praise the name of the sun shall pierce the night, and I will rise among the saints, my gaze transfixed on Jesus' face. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name for fault. I didn't check and make sure my scripture person was here today. So I'm reading scripture this morning. 
Uh, today's scripture is from Acts 4, um, 11 through something, because I don't know the rest of it. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, great. 11 through 12. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus is the, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And God bless the reading of his word. Good morning. This morning, I'm going to preach on one of the most exciting parts of scripture ever. It's a genealogy. And only a handful of you thought that that was actually exciting. Uh, maybe Sean, maybe Kyle, I don't know, uh, a handful of people. It's kind of a, a weird, like, Bible scholar sort of thing to get excited about the genealogies. I'm doing a read-through of the Bible, a 90-day read-through right now. I'm also doing a read-through with my kids and, and Lorinda. We're reading through uh, the Bible in 365 days. And so uh, I'm getting to retread a lot of ground over and over again. It's, it's kind of exciting for me because there are things that I'm, I'm so far ahead at this point of where my children are reading that now I can see some of the foreshadowing that's happening uh, things that are kind of unfolding, uh, plans that are being laid in place that maybe I would have missed on just a regular read-through. Um, so now I'm going to recommend to everybody, do two Bible reading plans at the same time, a 90-day read-through and a 365-day read-through, if you really want to understand the Bible. Uh, that's not a serious recommendation, by the way. You don't have to do two Bible reading plans at once. It's actually kind of taxing and tiring, <laughs> and mentally fatiguing, too. Um, the thing I've noticed the most, though, in this read-through, this particular read-through of Scripture, is the genealogies. I, I, I've found myself fascinated by them for the first time in a way that I, I haven't been in a long time. Um, I think most of the time when we read through the Bible, we get to these long lists of names and we kind of glaze over Maybe we find a name that's familiar, and for a moment we get excited. Ah, I know David. I know Joshua. I know Jacob. Yeah, these are, these are names I'm excited about because I know them. They resonate with me. They recall to mind stories that have been told already in Scripture. That's kind of an exciting sort of moment when you have that recognition. This guy is related to that guy. This is a big deal. I see how it's all interconnected, and there are people who have, have relationships that exist for uh, generations and generations to come. But what we often neglect in reading through these genealogies is, is what it would have meant to the people who read them for the first time. I'm teaching uh, on every other Tuesday night a, a Bible basics class uh, with a group of ladies from the, the Love, Inc. shelter. And we started in the book of Genesis, uh, which is usually a good place to start, right? Uh, take a look at the beginnings of things. And as we were talking about the book of Genesis, we noted the first real prophecy about Jesus, the statement that God makes to the serpent. He says, her offspring will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. And it's this foreshadowing of a time that will come when one child of man will end up overthrowing evil, putting to rest the one that had in many ways been the instigator of a lot of the trouble that we experience in our world. And immediately after this, I think one of the things that we should be seeing in Scripture is this, this question. Each time a new individual is introduced, each time a new offspring of man is introduced, the question is, is this the one? Is this the one who will set right the wrongs that exist in our world? Is this the one who will undo what has been done? Is this the one who will restore to us relationship with God that we've lost? Bring us into proximity to him. Allow us into his presence in a way that we can't experience apart from this one. And when Cain is introduced, there's this joyful and triumphant proclamation that comes from, from Eve. At last, I have found a man through God. I have, I have brought about a man. I have made a man by the power of God. And there's this joyful moment. And of course, the, the funny thing is that 
Abel doesn't get quite as much recognition. It's, and also, Abel was born. Cain, so exciting, this firstborn son, he's going to be the one. Maybe he'll be the one who fixes everything. And of course, we're not naive enough to think that the first one out of the garden is going to be the one to do what has been prophesied. We also can take a look at the book and see there's a whole lot more story left, right? But it becomes very clear very early on, Cain is not the one to set right what has been made wrong. In fact, in many ways, Cain just makes things worse. He takes sin and he elevates it in some way. He kills his brother. He's, he's uh, a man who lives after murdering his brother in great fear. And it's not too long after Cain and Abel's story plays out, after the birth of Seth, that we're given a genealogy, a list of names that builds up to a particular individual. And this list of names tells you, you know, little bits and pieces about some of the individuals in it. But it gets to Noah, and we're told that Noah's name means to bring relief or rest from toil. His father names him this. And we think back to the curse that occurs in Genesis chapter 3, and we read it, and it talks about the toil of, of having to work the earth, that the earth won't produce for man the way that it has in the garden, that they will have to work for their food. And so we get to this, and we think, well, this, this child is named Relief from work, relief from toil, our rest. And we think maybe this will be the one. And we read the next chapter and we see how wicked humanity has become, that the inclination of his heart is only evil always. And we think maybe, maybe this is the right moment. If all of humanity struggles with evil inside of themselves, but this one will bring us rest, maybe Noah is the one. And of course, the flood comes. And the world seems to start off anew, afresh. A, a brand new sort of situation occurs. But shortly thereafter, we read that Noah becomes a man of the soil, and he plants a vineyard, and he gets drunk, and falls asleep naked in his tent, and his son uncovers his nakedness, and there's this shame, and there's this kind of echo of Adam and Eve realizing for themselves that they are naked and feeling shame. And this sense of shame is a, a, a reminder to us, Noah is not the one. Because shortly after Noah, things begin to spiral downward again. And we see over and over in Scripture, new individuals introduced, and maybe this will be the one. And we get to Abraham, and Abraham is told by God that through you, through your offspring, all nations will be blessed. And so now we start looking at his specific line. Through this man, an offspring will come who will do what God has said he will do, to bless the nations, to set things right. And so we start looking through the line of Abraham, and, and as we go along, we are introduced to a son, Isaac. And Isaac's clearly not the one. We're introduced to Jacob and Esau, these quarreling brothers who are clearly not the ones. And a promise is made to Jacob that through him, the offspring will come. And we read ahead and we look at, at all of the stories of Moses and we think, well, maybe out of Moses something great will come. And in fact, God even says, you know what? I'm going to wipe out the Israelites and I'm going to start over with you. And Moses says, I know that's not the way the story is going to play out because that's not what you've promised. Moses isn't the one. And we go through all of the Old Testament, seeing kings rise and fall. We see men who are of great and deep faith approach God and find that they aren't the one who will set things right. But constantly, God affirms, he's coming. Through David, through Abraham, yes, even out of the line of Adam. In a couple of weeks, we're going to start a series on the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to look at a lot of the statements about Jesus within those, those stories that are told in the gospel that affirm the identity of Jesus, but also tell us what he was about, who he came to serve, how he came to live, what he came to do for us as individuals. But I want to start this morning, before we go and we read the entirety of the gospel of Luke, I want us to think about a couple of ideas that arise in this story. You see, Luke, Luke begins by setting the table for Jesus. 
he tells us that there's a man named John that was born to parents who were not thinking they could ever conceive a child. And they're given a child who ends up being the predecessor, the, the one who would pave the way for the Messiah. A fulfillment of prophecy, one who would proclaim in the desert, make straight paths for the Lord. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Someone who would do something radical and, and inspire people and excite them for what was about to happen. And we're told about his birth. And we're told about the birth of his cousin, who's conceived miraculously by the Holy Spirit. And we're told then the story of Jesus being baptized. We're told about his, his young age uh, as, as a child uh, being in the temple and, and a whole story about his parents being worried that he's lost. And then we're told about his, his arrival on the scene as an adult in, in the story of John baptizing Jesus and this moment in which the heavens open up. And unlike Matthew, who starts with the genealogy of Jesus, here, in what seems like a very odd place to throw it in, Luke drops the genealogy of Jesus after his baptism. And so this morning, I want, to, I want to talk about why that might be for just a moment. I've got a couple of blank slides here. Very strange. I don't have those slides up here, so I'm going to go ahead and read them out loud to you because I've got them on mine here. Uh, Luke chapter 3, verse 23 through 38. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there because they're not going to be on the screen. Here in Luke chapter 3, 23 through 38, Luke outlines the history of Jesus's family. And he begins with Jesus. He starts with Jesus and he works his way all the way back to Adam. And through these, these names, there are some in here that are immediately just, I have no idea who this person is. Why is he mentioned? Well, he's mentioned because he's an ancestor of Jesus. For Israelite people, at the time of the writing of the Gospel of Luke, genealogies were a significant thing. They were a source of history. They were, they were a way to indicate the legitimacy of an individual to serve uh, in, in the temple. They were a way to indicate that a person had come from a specific line of people. They were a way to connect yourself to your heritage and say, this is who I am. If you have questions about my authenticity as a Jew, I can tell you my ancestry all the way back to Abraham. And that was usually where most people could stop. I can tell you all the way back to Abraham. I don't have to worry about telling you about Adam and Noah and all of that. If I'm, if I'm a descendant of Abraham, you know that I'm a descendant of these others. And Luke outlines here, he says, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as it was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathith, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Janai, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Esli, the son of Nagai, the son of Meath. And I could, I could go on and on. I'm not going to read through the whole thing this morning. He works his way through these names, and he's telling us something. See, when Matthew does the genealogy of Jesus, he breaks it down into 14s, 14 generations, 14 generations, 14 generations. He's trying to outline and draw some connection to David, and he's trying to uh, in, encourage us to see how Jesus is connected to David and to, to Abraham, and he's, he's drawing a particular picture of who Jesus is based on this descent. Luke doesn't break it down into 14 generations at a time. He tells the story straight back to Adam, connecting it all the way to the beginning, without any break. It's almost like he doesn't take a breath in between these things here. He, he just pushes through. Jesus is drawn directly back to the one who was promised an offspring that would crush the head of the serpent. And in there, Jesus is drawn back to Abraham, the father of a nation. And Jesus is drawn back to David, the king who prophesied about his own Lord, who was called the Lord by his God. It's here in Luke chapter 3, verse 23 through 38, that Luke begins to tell us Whatever 
his birth may have been, whoever his cousin may have been, this is the offspring of Adam who's come to set things right. But he does this only after telling us in Luke chapter 3, verse, sorry, give me a second to pull this up on my screen here. Verse 21 through 22, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And in this single chapter, we have two identities of Jesus completely affirmed. God tells us, this is my son. Through the Spirit, this is my son. And I am pleased with him. But it's only good news if the Son of God is also the Son of Man. And Luke outlines that both of these identities ring 100% true for Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God, immaculately conceived, conceived in such a way that there is no possibility that he could be the offspring of any normal birth, but also a son of humanity, tracing his line all the way back to Adam, a son who could sit on the throne of David, a son who was a true son of Abraham. A son that could crush the head of the serpent. I think sometimes we are in such a rush to just read the Bible, to just get it over with, to, to check that box off that we, we miss what the authors are telling us here. And I think what Luke is trying to affirm to us is that in fact, Jesus is the only option. Jesus is the only one who could possibly be the same offspring of Adam and the offspring, the Son of God, the Lord of David, who was called Lord by his God. That's a reference to Psalms, by the way. This is the essential doctrine of the first century church. It is the essential doctrine of Christianity that Jesus is the Son of God and the offspring of Adam. That he is the offspring of Abraham, that he is the offspring of David, but that most importantly, in being all of that, he is no less the Son of God. And the stories that are told back to back here, they're intentional. There's a reason that, that Luke doesn't start with the genealogy. It's not his purpose to tell us just the genealogy, a list of names. This is Jesus' racial identity. It is his intention to intrinsically link the divinity and humanity of Christ back to back. And he begins by telling us that Jesus is the Son of God. But then he tells us, and that's good news because he's also the Son of Man. So when... Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost and outlines the history of Israel. He's telling us the story that leads up to Jesus. And he affirms to all the people that are sitting there listening to him that this is, in fact, the truth of who Jesus is. But then again, later in Acts chapter 4, verse 11 through 12, as we heard this morning, this is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And as I read that this week, as I, as I thought about this passage in the context of Scripture as a whole, these are people, Peter's talking to the teachers of Israel, these are people who are intimately familiar with all the names. They know Moses. They know Abraham. They know Isaac. They know Noah, they know Adam, they know the names. They've got these genealogies memorized front to back. They can tell you who was related to who, and they can tell you where they fit into this list of names. 
To them, the names really matter. Peter says, none of those names are going to save you. If you've put your hope in Abraham, if you put your hope in Moses, if you've put your hope in Abimelech, please don't put your hope in Abimelech, you've put your hope in the wrong place. None of them are the cornerstone. And my question to us this morning, the thing that I want us to think most about in reading about Jesus, in reading, reading the Gospels, reading the stories of who Jesus is and what he did and what he came to do in us, is to ask ourselves, do we ever put our hope in a different name? Do we ever place our confidence in where we came from? Do we ever place our confidence in, in the work that someone other than Jesus has done? Because when I, when I also think forward to the book of Hebrews, what I end up seeing is that the writer of Hebrews is telling us continually, yeah, Moses was a good guy. Jesus is better. Yes, the Sabbath is a good thing. Jesus is better. Yeah, there was this guy named Melchizedek who's this mysterious and wonderful figure that appears in the Old Testament. Jesus is better. This is the constant refrain of the New Testament scriptures is that yes, everything that happened in the Old Testament has deep and tremendous value, but apart from Jesus, there is no hope in any of it. And the beauty of the Old Testament, the beauty of the scriptures that we read through, that we, we, we see happening over and over again, the story that God is unfolding, is that it all points towards the cornerstone. And if our reading of scripture is informed and peppered with the understanding, if it's seasoned with Jesus, every part of it becomes beautiful. Those genealogies take on a new shape when you know that the one that they're building towards is the Savior of mankind. And so we, as Christians today, need to keep in mind that as we study Scripture, as we read and we try to live out the things that are taught there, that we are constantly building on the cornerstone of Jesus. That what we see in the genealogies, what we see in the law, what we see in the story of Israel in the wilderness, what we see in the story of good and bad kings is a message that points towards our Savior. Otherwise, it's just a, a bunch of facts and figures. If we put our hope in what we've memorized and what we've recited to ourselves over and over and over again, but we forget the cornerstone None of it matters. This is the message of the gospel. The cornerstone of our faith. The one that brings us salvation. The one that offers us hope. The one, the one under heaven who is also in heaven who can save us. He alone is the one we should put our hope in. Jesus. No other. I want to pray uh, before we finish our sermon this morning. Our Father in heaven, we are uh, sometimes mystified by the obscure things that we read about in Scripture. We, we get caught up in details that are um, fascinating to us, they become little rabbit trails we can chase down. I know for me it's so true that I can, I can get fixated on little things that have very little overall significance. And God, I, I pray that when that happens, when we find ourselves distracted, we start thinking that, that the little details are less important than the big picture, or more important than the big picture, that you draw our mind back to what our faith is all about. It's about Jesus. God, when, when we feel like we need to argue about obscure 
uh, thoughts that we find in scripture, when we, when we get ourselves caught up in debates about myths and genealogies, as Paul would say, that instead we find ourselves fixated by Jesus, that we find ourselves fascinated by this, this individual who was both God and man, your son and the offspring of Adam, the one who was both David's Lord and his offspring, the one who was before Abraham, who descended from Abraham. And if we're going to be fixated and marveled, uh, marveling at anything in Scripture, let us be fixated and marveling at Jesus. Let us be fascinated by him. Let us be filled to the brim with a desire to know him better so that we can share what we know about Jesus with other people. God, I pray that we can have hearts that are just on fire for this fascinating fascinating Savior of ours. It's through him that we pray. In his name, amen. This morning, my encouragement to you for the, the coming week is to fascinate yourself with Jesus. Ask yourself in every moment, how, how is he the cornerstone of my life right now? In your reading of scripture, ask yourself, how does this reveal to me more about who my Savior is? How can I communicate better to the people around me how I've found my faith in him, how I have anchored myself in him? Because there's going to be moments this week that you're going to find yourself tempted to uh, find another fixation. Find something else that piques your interest a little bit more. Make Jesus your fascination. Make him the thing that you can't draw your eyes away from, that your mind can't wander from. If that's the case, if he is the literal cornerstone of your life, I think we'll make different decisions. We'll act differently. We'll walk differently. We'll approach our neighbors differently. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. If you have a need of the church this morning, if you are in need of prayer, if we can offer you uh, counsel, if we can sit with you and, and just listen as you share what it is that you're struggling with, if you have need of baptism this morning, if there is any way in which we can serve or bless you or someone that you love, let us know. Um, I'll be in the back of the auditorium while we sing. Uh, and you can see me there, uh, or you can find one of our elders. Fortunately for you, you know who they are this morning. Uh, you can find one of them, and they will be glad to stand and sit and, and pray and listen with you. Let's stand and sing this morning. Jesus, name, name above all names, beautiful Savior, glorious Lord, Emmanuel, God is with us, blessed Redeemer. Living Word, Jesus, name above all names, beautiful Savior, glorious Lord, Emmanuel, God is with Blessed Redeemer, living word. You may be seated. To God be the glory, great things he hath done. So loved he the world 
life and atonement for sin, and open the life gate that all may go in. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. So come to the Father through Jesus the Son, and give him the glory, great things he hath done. Great things he hath taught us, great things he hath done, and great our rejoicing through Jesus the Son. But purer and higher and greater will be our wonder, our transport when Jesus we see. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son, and give him the glory, great things he When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss. my church family. It's been too long since I've seen many of you. Can't tell you how much I miss you. It's been hard on all of us for sure. But hang in there. 
It's going to get better. Also, reach out. We are only a text or a phone call or a Zoom meeting away. If you're desperate, you can always come over and hang out in my backyard. Doing so makes you an honorary dude. Just ask any of the dudes. So what about the Lord's Supper? I've been doing some long and hard thinking about our mission. Love your neighbors and share the gospel over the last couple months. If you're a dude, you know this because I share often. Before you can accept the mission, however, you need to think about what and who you are. Scripture tells us many things about ourselves. We are children of God, Christians, servants, laborers, leaders, but we're also humans created by God. We are people. And as you've heard me say before, people are people. It is easy to deprioritize the things of God and prioritize the things of the world. All too easy. Here we are now in the first week of Lent. We don't talk much about Lent. It leads us, but it leads us to Easter, which in my heart, in my opinion, is the most important event of the year. To me, this is a good time to think about Jesus and his sacrifice made for you. It's a time to think about your relationship and your actions, thoughts, and life. Are you wasting the skills and opportunities that God has given you? Remember the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25. Do you know what your skills and gifts are? Are you using them? Or do you sit on them? But the Bible also tells us we are known by our fruits. See, for example, Luke chapter 6. What are your fruits? Think for a second and name two of your fruits. God is not happy when his people don't bear fruit. We're now in communion and we're about to take the bread. Jesus said, this is my body. Mark chapter 14, for example. The bread symbolizes his gift of salvation. We are confirming what we are when we take the bread. So this is a time to think about your life and actions and fruits. Ask the question, are you worthy? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this chance for us to reflect on our lives, on our fruits, on our talents. We just pray, Lord, that, that we can carry out the work that you want us to do. And we just pray that 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 sharing this bread together will will strengthen us and, and help us to, to to defeat just being people. And will allow us to be your people. In your son's name, amen. Back again. Now it's time for part two, which is the cup, sharing the wine. Back to, Matt, back to Mark chapter 14, they all drank. Drinking together expresses mutual obligation. Sharing the wine identifies us as a body. All of us together, each with our talents, all to be cherished, a realization that this is the way and to take, take courage for the tasks at hand. Will you pray with me? Thank you, Father, for this wine. Thank you for communion, where we can share this together as a church. And Lord, we just pray that it will help us to be stronger together, that, that we can share the burden of, of the mutual obligation, that we can carry out the tasks that you have before us. So bless us now, Lord, in your son's name, we pray. Amen.
I'm back for part three. So we, we sort of shoe, shoehorn this in. Um, it's our custom, our tradition uh, to make contribution at the end of communion. Um, really doesn't matter when or where we, we do this, but we do it here. And I wanted to remind everyone that, that we've got a couple of most excellent staff members. Um, and, and it's really important that um, we uh, make contribution, that we have their backs. So I know it's a tough time, uh, money-wise, uncertainty, uh, you know, the economy and the world, uh, the whole COVID uh, virus, uh, we're all shaken. But uh, reflect on the fact that we, we wanna make sure we've got their backs. So consider that in your hearts and let's pray. Thank you, Father, for great staff, for facilities. We just pray that, that you will bless uh, this offering and each of us and, um, and that we can, we can carry out your work. In your son's name, amen. Bye, all. Hope to see you in person sometime soon. Can we stand as we sing our last song? There's a stirring deep within me. Could it be my time has come when I see my gracious Savior face to face when all is done? Is that his voice I am hearing? Come away, my precious one. Is he calling me? Is he calling me? I
morning. Amy says, when I take off my mask, people will not recognize me. I have so much gray hair on my, on my face. Do you guys recognize me? Amy, okay, good. All right. Um, what I'm about to read probably isn't going to be too much of a surprise to many or if not all of you, um, but let it be known that we, are, uh, we believe God is faithful and we are, uh, we are at peace with what is going on and we are grateful for our church family here. So I'm going to read this letter um, and do my best not to stray from it. All right. Uh, dear family, we want to let you know that we have decided not to pursue the Argentina mission at this time. After great prayer, research, and counsel of others, we believe God is putting th this work on hold. We know that God answers prayers, and he is telling us, not right now. The money raised will stay with Let's Start Talking and the, in the account that we have until we are ready to use it. We plan on using it after Allison graduates, which is two and a half years she'll graduate. Um, and then we'll be working, in the meantime, we'll be working with Let's Start Talking uh, with a summer campaign. Uh, they have a, an online thing that, that they've been doing already since the pandemic, so we're going to be joining in with that. Uh, we'll be also making connections with Argentina, uh, the Argentine people, uh, during that time. Uh, we are also looking forward to um, diving back into ministry here in the Newburgh Church of Christ. Please continue to ask us questions uh, as we, I did stray from it. Please continue to ask us questions regarding the work being done for the Argentine people. We love talking about it, and we love the work that God is already doing down there. We're just not joining in that right now. Uh, we still covet your prayers, so please continue laying the foundation for this work. And once again, we want to thank you all for the encouragement the last few years and the years to come. Uh, we know this is a team and a family effort, and we love all of you. Thank you, our Rockwell family. We appreciate uh, Amy and Josh and all that they're trying to do. It takes a lot of courage to go, and it takes a lot of courage to uh, say it's not time. And so we appreciate them. Encourage them, if you will. They, still, they have great faith, and they really want to go, and we need to encourage them as they think about that. Thank you, Chris, this morning for um, a great lesson again. What a paradox. Uh, it's so hard to understand. It's a cornerstone of our faith. Jesus was a man and Jesus was God. What a paradox. Born of a woman, but he existed for all time. As a man, a servant, as God, our Lord. As a man, a lamb, and as our Lord, a lion, we get that. The world doesn't. We need to teach the world. We need to be good examples to them. Thanks, Chris, for the lesson this morning. I don't believe we have any, any announcements, so I'm going to close us out with a prayer. Would you bow with me, please? Father, we're so thankful that you are our Lord. We're thankful that you are a righteous judge. Uh, we would ask that you continue to love us and show us your grace. Uh, Father, I'm thankful for the, the people who worship here, for this congregation. Uh, encourage us, Father, as we try to walk in your way. Help us that we might always look to your scripture, that we might uh, be the Christians that you intend us to, to be. Help us to be a light to the people around us and especially to this community. Uh, be with us as we go from this place. We pray through your son. Amen. You are dismissed. <laughs>